I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Mary Beth Albright, podcast host, author. Uh, the title of her podcast is Eat Feel Better. Is hanger real? Can food affect association? Does who I'm eating with change the flavor of my meal? Mary Beth Albright, award-winning food journalist, attorney, and author of Eat and Flourish, answers these questions and more in Eat You'll Feel Better. It's a weekly 20-minute podcast for listeners curious about food, wellness, and science, and those who are eating well but uh, are too busy to devote themselves to their, their or devote their lives to it. Uh, she offers one practical action you can take each week to enhance your food mood connection. What we consume affects our physical and emotional health. She talks to chefs, researchers, food developers, flavorists, and others in the fields of food health and wellness. She's a former Washington Post food correspondent, a finalist on Food Network Star, and an Iron Chef competitor. She's also written for National Geographic and was a wrestler restaurant critic for DC Magazine. She is a frequent panel uh, moderator, including for the U.S. State Department and the Smithsonian. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Mary Beth. Very impressive resume. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much. It's all about food, right? I I mean, I've I've got to food from many different angles, and um, I'm just thrilled to be here and speaking with your audience. Thank you. Well, we're going to talk about your pa- your podcast. This is brand new, right? Um, yeah. And, yeah. So you've been writing, you've been doing a lot of different kinds of things, obviously, what you said, but okay, a podcast. Uh, my question is, okay, why a podcast? Why now? I mean, because you're a writer. I- I'm always interested in why many writers now are um, also have, now they have podcasts. Um, that What did I say about a 20 minutes um, podcast? Is that 20 minutes a week? Yeah. And, you know, it's not just that writers have podcasts, like everybody has a podcast. Everybody now, does. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's sort of like, I mean, it, it is, it is a running joke. So I want to, I want to, you know, acknowledge that at the very top. Um, but what I, what I wanted to do and what, what my book came out um, a year ago and um, in November of 2023, and I've had such amazing reception to the idea that there is this food mood connection that we've, you know, all known about anecdotally for so long, uh, just from our own personal experience, but now we're getting the science to back it up. And I had a lot of people on my book tour asking me, you know, this, I, the science is great. I love the book. What do I do on an everyday basis, right? And so I just thought that a good way to, to address that question would be a really manageable 20 minutes every week. It's just like, okay, here's something, here's the science behind something, and, um, and here's one actionable thing you can do this week. So, for example, if um, you know that the, what you call a food, what you, what you name a food affects the way that you taste it. Um, and so if you call something lemony, people will think it's more lemony. If people call, if you call it rich, people will think it's rich, right? Because that flavor is created in the brain. And so I thought it would be great to do a 20 minute, just really brief, um, thing that people could dip into to figure out how to, how to eat better for their, um, for their emotional well-being. Yeah, and I think that's an important point because one of the things about food, everybody seems to be overwhelmed about, you talk about the science, what you're supposed to eat and how you're supposed to eat and when you're supposed to eat. And it seems Mm. to me many or most people here in the United States have given up because we're fat and we're, uh, half of us are, what, overweight and another 
quarter of uh, people are, are obese. So how do we, you know, how does that relate to what we're talking about? That we seem to be, and and then there's the whole issue of fat shaming, which I want you want you to address, and because you're talking about health and food and what makes us. If we eat well, we feel good. It affects our mood. But are we listening? I mean, we want to listen to you because, like, as you say, you're, you have the science behind it, um, and you're not going to encourage people to do too much because they probably won't do it. One actionable thing a week, which I think is a great idea. Uh, so let's talk about some of that and how in relation to our food and our mood and what are we doing. Yeah, and look, I'm, I'm an eater too, and I, so, which is why I always start – from a place of pleasure, because if we're looking to improve and maintain emotional well-being, you're fighting an uphill battle if you say to yourself, I'm going to deny myself food pleasure, because food pleasure is real. It, is this, it uses the same circuitry um, in our bodies to produce pleasure, as does sex, as does watching um, a, a beautiful film, as does listening to music. So that food pleasure is a real source of, you know, of, of feeling good. The, where we run into problems, a lot of places we run into problems. One of them is, as you were discussing, about turning it all into a weight discussion, because it's not just about weight. And it's not that weight has nothing to do with it because weight, having excess body weight can cause um, inflammation that can also go through the, what's called the blood-brain barrier, which we can talk more about later, but that inflammation can affect your emotional well-being. It's not that it has nothing to do with weight. It's the question of we've had decades and decades of diet culture telling us, okay, just eat better and exercise and you'll be fine. And that message is not resonating and is not work it, resonating. It not, it not even, let's not even worry about that. It's not working because of the statistics that you told us about. And in the meantime, we're having real loss of people's life and pleasure because of, you know, this idea that you have to lose weight and this focus on weight. So what, what, what I'm trying to do is pull it out of that diet culture and make it about how to enjoy the foods that we also know bring us longer emotional well-being. Foods like fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, legumes. It, it's not a new message. It's a new why. And I think we're all starving for a new why. Starving. That's a perfect word. We are starving yeah, for a new why. Yeah. There's no question about it. That's very true. I, I know myself. I mean, I'm the the right weight or whatever you want to call it in terms of the BMI right. and stuff. But if I put on three or four pounds and it's really interesting and go beyond that, I do feel, I don't feel well emotionally, not just the weight. It is it's exactly what you're talking about. I don't want to say I feel depressed, but I don't, I, I'm not feeling well, I should say psychologically if I do that. And uh, so I keep things in check, but I, I think that's very true. But what about, People, I mean, I know you mentioned or you talk about uh, these emotions getting you through crisis in your lives, like a chaotic childhood or divorce mm, yeah. or some kind of a loss. And some people, when they are going through the, we all go through those crises at one time or another, what eat, they overeat, they eat too much. I mean, they, they don't feel comfortable. It doesn't, it exacerbates their you know, the negativity in terms of their emotions. Um, and some people don't eat at all. So they go, we go to two extremes, um, sure. and yeah. So how do we 
kind of mitigate those reactions? Well, I, I think it's a very important inquiry that we need to have. Um, and that's, you know, that why we are doing that is a very individual discussion. And there is a lack of availability of resources for people to have that discussion with themselves. For example, talk therapy, because this in no way is like, throw away your medication, throw away talk therapy. All you need is broccoli. Like <laughs> that, that is not what the science says at all. Right. And so in an ideal world, we would have people, um, we would, we have these resources for everybody, but since we don't have resources for talk therapy for everyone right now, um, looking at food and looking at the statistics behind what the studies behind how powerful eating for your emotional well-being can be. I mean, there just came out, and and, and because um, the White House ha- last year had a conference on uh, on food as medicine, right? And ever since that idea came out, there's been a lot more research, even in just the past 12 months, about the food is medicine movement. And I think that is so valuable in terms of having scientific research behind this um, so that maybe we wind up on a policy level subsidizing the right things, you know, helping people with food prescriptions for fruits and vegetables, which is something that is starting to happen now with health coverage, um, that they'll actually cover fruits and vegetables if you have a chronic disease. Um, But what you're talking about right now, the overeating, a lot of it is related to ultra-processed foods, which is a, a very again, what we're talking about, we feel like these terms are opaque, right? That there's not a lot of transparency in the food world. And ultra-processed foods um, are things that are made that, you know, you can't find the ingredients in your average kitchen, right? Um, And so these ultra-processed foods, people overeat them. I overeat them. I mean, I'm person too, right? Um, People overeat them to the extent that um, that there is excess weight gain and that kind of thing. And so I think it's all wrapped up in a conversation about thinking about not just what you eat, but how you eat, sitting down at a table, eating with other people. There's so much science out there about how this can be helpful for emotional well-being. Yeah, I know you've talked about that. How you eat is obviously is very important. That's what you do talk about. But um, in terms of like who you eat with, and you're saying that it's not good to eat alone. It's you feel better if you eat with other people. I think that's a problem with the aging population and the elderly. They're eating by themselves. They're isolated. They they don't eat with anybody else, which affects emotional well-being as as well as their physical well-being. But what about the average American? Do we sit down and eat as a? I mean, isn't that that is part of the issue? Does anybody eat breakfast together or lunch together or eat it slowly together or talk together or have some kind of, yeah, it doesn't happen. Even with dinner, it seems to me that that, that it's so critical, but yet we're not doing it, are we? I mean, you have the stats. we need to remember humans are an ecosystem, you know, it, it's, it, there, there is, there is a diversity in things that affect our emotional well-being, And one of them is just being around other people. Now, look, you don't have to eat every single meal with another person. I actually, for the Washington Post, when I was there a year ago, um, I wrote a whole, um, a, a series about, I tried to eat only with other people for a month, right? That was my new year's resolution. And it's overwhelming. And I totally get that. And I also get, I mean, I live alone part of the time. Sometimes it's just hard to find people to eat with. It's like, well, I'm hungry. I need to listen to that cue, but now I need to like list, work with, eat with other people all the time. 
It's just about having a a, a, a health-supporting eating pattern. So if you don't eat every meal with, with somebody else, that's fine. But like the, 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 um, the statistics right now are that people are eating five out of every six meals by themselves or one of every three meals in a car. Um, and these are ways that when you're eating like this, the, the, the communication between the gut and the brain, which is known as the gut-brain axis, because it goes back and forth, right? The brain communicates with the gut, and the gut communicates with the brain. And the, the, the signals that go back and forth are disturbed. I mean, this is, this is all based on, on science, peer-reviewed science. That, that, um, that signal is disturbed when you are eating and distracted or eating and driving or that kind of thing. So it's the signal that your gut tells your brain, I've had enough sugar or I've had enough fat. And, the, and these, these signals actually exist. They get disrupted when we're not eating in a way with a, with a pattern that really supports those, those signals going back and forth. And when people, we have a loneliness epidemic in this country. It's sort of like eating together and just a little bit of food preparation can be a way that people can start to combat that loneliness epidemic and open up conversations. Um, but at the very base of it, just like trying to eat one extra meal with people a week can be really life-changing. So it's all about balance, isn't it? As I'm listening to you, it's not like you have, it's not that you have to eat every meal with everybody or always eating with somebody. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes it feels good if you have a big family uh, or if you have uh, a lot of people that you're eating with all the time. I know for me, sometimes I enjoy just eating by myself and sort of you know, oh, yeah, yeah. So it, it's ba- I, the word balance keeps coming up, and I, I think that we do live in a culture where we, we get into the all or nothing stuff. You know, yeah, and, and rather than balancing it out, which is what you're talking about in terms of definitely, terms of, yeah. absolutely. You know, I did an interview with the restaurateur Danny Meyer, who owns um, yeah a lot of high end restaurants in yeah right in New York City, but also yeah. places like Shake Shack on this idea of, of, you know, eating alone. And I was like, look, I don't want to pathologize eating alone. That's not a problem either. And he said, yeah, you know, one of the best, one of the best compliments you can give a restaurant owner is to come in and eat in the restaurant by yourself, because it's really that sort of radical act of self-care that you're spending your own time with yourself, that you're spending your own money. I mean, look, food prices are not going down anytime soon. You're spending all of this, this time with yourself and on yourself. And there's that real, there's a real power to that. And I, my son is 15 now, but when he was a young child, oh my gosh, eating with him was really, (laughs) you know, eating with a young child can take a lot out of you. So I don't mean in any way to suggest that it's relaxing or easier to eat with other people, but it, it can really be a challenge. And, and, you know, but if you're working on your emotional well-being, which I certainly am right now, these are all things that, um, that are important for that. What about different, you mentioned your 15 year old and I had three boys and they're grown now, but I, that, yeah. that you know, I wanted to eat by my, <laughs> wanted to close the door occasionally and oh, eat no by myself, <laughs> right? That was the pleasure. And it gave a chance for my gut to go to my brain and, or the, the, the pathways, I guess, so that I would be eating healthy. But do, so there are different stages for all of us too. I mean, does that make a difference in terms of the emotional well-being? Maybe you're young and raising kids and then you're, you have teenagers and then you're 
alone, you know, the empty nest, and then you're the elderly. Um, yeah. Different, yeah, different patterns for different groups or different demographics. Yes, absolutely. And and this is where, again, like the hardest part about it is that you have to pay attention to how eating and food affects you. Um, that, that sometimes you really do need that time alone, particularly as a parent of young children. Um, and sometimes you just really need to be with other people and it's paying attention to yourself as well. And we haven't even gotten into, I mean, there, there, there are four sort of pillars that I talk about in, that I write about in my book that we talk about on the podcast. There are four pillars that are science, that are science backed that are, um, eating for emotional well-being, which are number one, pleasure, which we've spent a lot of time in the pleasure space during this conversation. But there are also three others, which are inflammation, the gut microbiome, and nutrients. And those are all their specific nutrients that can support your emotional well-being. um, The gut microbiome is a whole conversation that we can get into about how the bacteria that live inside of our digestive tract really influence our moods and that the quickest way to influence our gut microbiome is through food. And it really regulates so much like sleep, um, sex drive. Um, it, it regulates uh, serotonin production. So that's a so whole let me world just ask that we you haven't this. gotten if we into eat yet. Well, if we eat well, we, we will have better sex. That's a good... <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I love it. This, this is very that, that that's a great headline. That's a great headline. The, the story is more nuanced, but I love the headline. <laughs> okay. Um, pleasure. Well, we do, yes, we've been discussing pleasure and eating and good sex is one way of having pleasure. But okay, inflammation. Let's talk about it because some people are going to say, oh, "Do I have to know about inflammation? Do I have to know? You know, I'm just an average person. You know, a bacteria. Right, right. How much do I have to know to be able to follow what you're talking about to be able to have a you know emotionally, you know, be emotionally health, uh, healthy, feeling good, uh, without having to really how much science do I have to understand? I guess that's the question. Right. You don't need to have a PhD to eat, right? Like yeah. that's, that's, that's sort of the, the basis of what, I, what, I'm, what I'm doing. The, the, the best studies, the, 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 the strongest studies that we have all point towards the Mediterranean diet. Now, the Mediterranean diet is obviously something that is culturally specific to the Mediterranean basin. Um, but, that, but that diet is whole grains, fruits, vegetables, um, legumes, nuts, uh, limited amounts of sugar, but it's also eating communally, eating together. I mean, there's more to the Mediterranean diet than just those nutrients, but you can also transfer that to sort of, there's also the Okinawan diet, right? Which is, which is another culturally specific place, um, where, where you're eating specific foods, but I mean, you don't need any of the information about your, your gut microbiome is, is happening, whether you know about it or not. You, you, you can never know about your gut microbiome and you can be just fine, right? If you look at the principles of eating, you know, the, that kind of basic whole foods diet with, that is really rich in whole vegetables and whole fruits, um, the, the the problem is, as you were just talking about, is that a lot of times just knowing that message isn't enough to actually do it. And I've had this experience throughout my life too. I mean, I 
I come at this from a place as a person who really loves food. My background is that I was at the U.S. Surgeon General's office for years, which is where I started looking at this research behind food and mental health about 20 years ago and followed it until I thought to myself, this is actually at a point where this is um, a tipping point where we can really actually start talking about this being real, that food mood connection and science based. And um, I just, it's, it's, it's critical that we just have that message about whole foods and, and kind of backing away from specific ultra processed foods. But if you want to get into the weeds of it, and if you want to know about the why, um, there, there's all kinds of science backing it up. Because as you said, there's, there's a lot of opaqueness around food right now. And so for me, the transparency of saying, okay, yeah, here's the study. And here's what the study said, that you will have fewer depression symptoms and fewer anxiety symptoms if you eat this kind of, if you eat a Mediterranean diet, if you eat more fiber, if you pay attention to including vegetables. And so, for example, for the Thanksgiving show that I did, I just said, look, here are three things you can do over Thanksgiving. I'm not going to tell you, like, stay away from the pumpkin pie. Like, I'm not going to chirp at you to like stay away from desserts, right? We all know that that's a very difficult, but three things that you can do for Thanksgiving, pay attention to fiber because fiber is just, it's so important for your body to be able to produce the kinds of substances and chemicals that it needs to be, to to support emotional well-being. So eat veg, eat fiber, eat vegetables, pay attention to the vegetables. Like if you're sitting at the table, definitely put more vegetables on your plate and then eat with other people. And so those are like sort of three takeaways that distill the science down and just say, okay, I'm standing in the middle of a grocery store. What do I eat? Right. Um, and so I think that those kinds of things are, are really important to those, those tips just in the moment. Like what's one thing I can do? I can eat more vegetables at the, at the Thanksgiving table and, and that's eat usually more manageable for Okay, you mentioned Thanksgiving. Now we have all the other holidays coming up. So you can eat the vegetables, pay attention to the vegetables, pay attention to what you're eating, but you didn't actually say, are you allowed? I mean, (laughs) the pumpkin pie, it's going to be there or the pecan pie or whatever it is. Can you eat that as well along with the vegetables and the fiber and all the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I go back to the science on this. Everything that I say is science-based. It's not, it's not my opinion. The science says that if you have a strong eating pattern that includes these like whole foods and vegetables and fruits that you are able, your system has resilience to it, right? That you can, that you can dump a piece of pumpkin pie on it and the system will know how to handle it. The system will have that resilience, the system meeting just your body, your digestive system, right? Um, but if you're constantly eating as, a, as an eating pattern, ultra processed foods, high refined sugar, that kind of thing, your system just isn't going to have the same degree of elasticity and resilience. And so, I mean, look, I'm going to have pumpkin pie because I like pumpkin pie and it brings me a very specific pleasure to have a piece of pumpkin pie at, 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 after Christmas. One of the, one of the, um, researchers I spoke with, I, I always <laughs> ask every researcher I speak with, how has this research changed the way that you eat? And it's really interesting. One of them, um, a researcher out of the Monell Institute in Philadelphia said, I eat dessert every day because I enjoy it. And it's a really important pleasure in my life. You know, I, I eat fruits and I eat vegetables and I eat whole grains. But like, I eat dessert every day because that's really important to me. And um, she's an extraordinarily healthy person. So, Well, I want to um, comment on that because I have a mother who is 
soon to be 101 years old. And oh that's my God, exact, Catherine, you're she, kidding. That's amazing. No, but, but you know what, uh, Mary Beth, that's exactly how she eats, just as you're describing this, this scientist or researcher. I eat my, she eats her fruits and vegetables and all the good stuff every day and a little bit of dessert every day for, what, 100 years. So it does work. <laughs> yeah, and it's like this polarity that we have. And it's a very, I mean, I've spoken with researchers all over the world. I am American. I've lived here my whole life. Um, but it, there is a sort of, polarity that Americans have, that it's sort of like all or nothing, that does not seem to exist in some other places. Um, that, that, like, as I said, in the Mediterranean basin, there's an idea of like, yes, we're going to have fat. We're going to have tons of olive oil with our whole grains or with our vegetables. We're going to make our vegetables taste delicious. Rather than what I found as a food journalist, a lot of times we, we, we try to make vegetables as quote-unquote healthy as possible. So, you know, like steam them, even if you hate them steamed, it's like, no, if you hate them steamed, then, you know, put a little olive oil on them. It's okay. Um, So I think that we do have this like all or nothing mentality and it gets really bad during the holidays. And that's why I really try to stay away from diet culture um, in the, in the podcast as well, because I do feel like that's very damaging to emotional well-being. We have a couple minutes left. This has been a great conversation. I love it. And I want people to listen because you started, what, November 15th on your podcast. So when is it? Tell us about it. Yeah. So we can tune in. Absolutely. It's called Eat, You'll Feel Better, um, which is what I wanted to call the book, but it wasn't sciencey enough, you know, but it's like, (laughs) eat, you'll feel better because you can eat and you can feel better. Um, And we talk about, so this week, for example, I was in Los Angeles last weekend and I was at, there's a very, very upscale, it's like they call it the luxury Whole Foods. Let's give you an idea. There's a very upscale grocery store called Erwan um, in Los Angeles. There are 10 of them and they sell a smoothie that is named after a model. And so I get into the science of, or not too deeply, but I'm just sort of like, here's what this, what this tasted like. And here's how what we name things affect how we taste things. So, for example, people rate studies, people are eating the same cookie, right? They'll eat one and then another right after it. And somebody will tell them, the researcher will tell them, this cookie is just a plain cookie. But this cookie is preferred by 70% of royalty. And people will always rate the, the second cookie as better, even though it's the same cookie. Right. That I'm glad so you the, mentioned it, it, that because yeah, I, that, I think that I mean that that is so true. I have to. We have to say goodbye. We got 30 seconds left. But um, so, when is the show, and when can we listen to you? It drops on Wednesdays. It's called Eat. You'll feel better. It's on all podcast platforms. Um, my website is marybethalbright.com, and my book is Eat and Flourish: How Food Supports Emotional Well-Being, and that's available everywhere too. Great. It was great talking to you today. Thanks so much. I'm going to be listening to the show. Mary Beth Albright, Eat, You'll Feel Better. It's true. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 